Movies and Booze. I'm Moncrief on News Talk. Ah, yes, the end of the week. We are joined by Dean McGuinness, Fanula Jones, and Deirdre Malumbi. Good afternoon to you all. Hey, guys. How you doing? Yeah. Now, Deirdre, let's start with you seeing your uh, uh, the new girl. Uh, the uh, the two <laughs> films couldn't be quite different. And we were talking to uh, Kieran Cray uh, earlier on uh, about Anne. It's 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 a grim enough watch. Oh, it's very grim. It's very, very sad. So people might actually remember this story from the 1980s. Anne is inspired by the true story of Anne Lovett, who was a 15-year-old girl who died in childbirth in a grotto in Granard in uh, County Louth in the year 1984. And this film basically uh, brings to life that day that she realised that she was about to give birth. So it kind of takes place, I suppose, over the, those 24 hours. Yeah, would you, because, I, well, I suppose people of a certain age will remember the story. Mm-hmm. If people are a bit longer, might be familiar with it anyway. And it can't really tell us anything new, I suppose, because we don't really know what was going on in our mind that day. Yeah, that's just it. And I mean, I suppose even people of kind of an older generation would remember this because I even remember, you know, I would have heard about it in school and been so saddened, you know, I would have been her age when I found out about this story. And I just thought, how could this possibly um, happen to someone? How could they be that isolated and that unsupported? And I mean, it is kind of interesting, you know, the timeliness of this release in terms of, you know, all of the uh, political changes that have happened in Ireland. But also it's quite timely in relation to what's happening on a bigger international scale. Uh, We're all very aware of the Roe v. Wade um, overturn in the US. So somehow this story, even though we're kind of quite familiar with it and we know how it ends ultimately, it is very timely. And for that reason, it's a very poignant watch. Yeah, I, I would imagine uh, bits of it is probably difficult to watch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very, very, yeah. especially yeah. Um, I'll get into it in more detail, but particularly yeah. when it gets into that childbirth scene, it's whew, it's a lot. Yeah. Now, uh, the unlikely pilgrimage of Harold Fry. Is this a kind of uh, old people are so hot right now situation? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's funny. There are quite a few of these like OAP led films that are uh, coming out. People remember like the likes of The Best Exotic, Mary Gold Hotel, Quartet, The Lady in the Van. Uh, Over the years, even A Man Called Otto. We had Tom Hanks kind of sitting in that um, OAP protagonist uh, position with that movie earlier this year. But this is just a really lovely kind of feel good, smaller indie style type of movie. So it follows is Harold Fry, who is this character who decides to embark on a walk across the UK uh, from Devon to Berwick-upon-Tweed, which is something like 500 miles, uh, because he learns that his friend is in a hospice and is dying. And he gets this notion in his head that if he just keeps on walking, she will not die. Um, So you're kind of, I suppose, preparing Mm. yourself from the outset for possible tears and tissues. And I won't give away how it all ends, but it's actually quite a lovely movie. I suppose I would liken it to having a cup of tea. You know, it's just that kind of warm, lovely feeling. Yeah, it sounds very English. In a nice way. It is very (laughs) English, but in a nice way. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And so, uh, Dean, what exactly is a smoky beer? A smoked beer, yeah. uh, This is kind of a fun one to do because you don't often get to do things that are quite different. And I don't think we've done smoked beers in in the 15-odd years that I've been doing this. Um, What you've got is there are four families of moulds and um, different types of moulds are used in different beers. If it's a golden beer, uh, it generally is brewed with just a pale mould or a pilsner mould. If it's a red or brown beer, they might use mid-coloured moulds. And for dark beers, they have to use roasted moulds. The fourth category of malts uh, kind of is a catch-all of all the unusual malts, and this is one of the unusual malts, uh, smoked malts. So you get really smoky flavours in the beer. 
really unusual experience and it's kind of harkening back to uh, historical beers the way that they were brewed kind of 300, 400, 500 years ago. Uh, so it's uh, hard to come by them. There aren't a lot of them in the market, uh, but it is a, an unusual and interesting taste experience. OK, fair enough. Well, we'll uh, look forward to that. And uh, Fanula, now I suppose it's uh, people would know that uh, it, I think the news broke yesterday that uh, Jerry Springer dies. It's a funny thing that um, he he was kind of in so in the, la- the the last years of his life he was he started to take on almost a warm and cuddly persona and people liked him even though the show he hosted was kind of appalling. Yeah, the Jerry Springer show previously voted like the worst show in the history of television. Uh, synonymous with strippers, food fights, punch ups, family disputes. I don't need to go into it. People are familiar with it. But yeah, I think despite all that, Jerry kind of rose above it in a way and was very beloved. And I think when this news did break yesterday that he died at the age of 79, I think the general reaction was like sadness. Um, died mm. after a brief illness. Uh, his uh, spokesman, Gene Galvin, Galvin, said Jerry's ability to connect with people was at the heart of his success and everything he tried, whether that was politics, broadcasting, or just joking with people on the street who wanted a photo or a word, which again, I think also kind of really encapsulates who he was and why he was so good at what he did, even despite how kind of in bad taste the show was, some may argue. Uh, Ricky Lake also paid tribute to him, his former kind of uh, at one point TV rival. She tweeted, just waking to the very sad news of the passing of my longtime talk show rival and friend Jerry Springer, a lovely man. May he rest in peace. And like the show was gargantuan even beyond its content like ran for 27 seasons nearly 5,000 episodes between 1991 to 2018 so yeah like a massive impact on the landscape of television yeah and had um, I forget the name of the guy the English fella but he did basically exactly the same sort of uh, show which was completely exploited Jeremy as well Kyle for many yeah. Jeremy uh, Kyle yeah. yes that's that's the fella yeah lovely yeah. chap I'm yeah. sure <laughs> uh, and was there was there equal sadness for uh, James Corden's show ending? Uh, were people weeping on the streets and gnashing their beating their breasts and things? Uh, not that I've seen, uh, but I'm sure there mm. are people devastated by the news that uh, James Corden's run on US TV uh, ended last night after eight years. His final season he said it's been life changing. Lots of famous faces called in and stopped by to say goodbye. Uh, Harry Styles, because there was a much rumored were One Direction going to reunite for this final show because they would have been a big part of the show when it kind of initially launched and James was friends with all of them whatever um, but they didn't all turn up but it was just Harry and he was asked are they ever going to reunite and Harry was like never say never classic boring answer um, he did the final carpool karaoke with Adele uh, Will Ferrell was there he like smashed his desk up for the kind of final bit and of course Tom Cruise they did a like quite frankly really bizarre performance of Can You Feed the Love Tonight in a like theatre like surprise this audience very cringe I couldn't deal with it um, Joe Biden called in I mean I don't know like eight years it kind of feels like it ran for longer but was also happened yesterday in a way uh, I know the showrunners did kind of this long ranging interview with Hollywood Reporter as well where they talked about kind of people they would have loved to get for Carpool Karaoke Beyonce was one of them they said it just kind of never really worked out timings wise and also Beyonce doesn't really need to do promotion for anything she does because she's Beyonce and also Bruce Springsteen mm. was supposed to do it before uh, but he couldn't because mm. of scheduling issues so RIP James Corden's show and Carpool Karaoke yeah, yeah, but all those people that turned up, is that because there was a genuine fondness towards the show and towards James Corden or just, you know, 
good place to appear. I mean, you'd wonder, wouldn't you? Especially following reports over the last few years that maybe his kind of what he puts out professionally doesn't really align with his, uh, like personal uh, demeanour and all that jazz, you'd wonder is it a little bit of kind of image rehabilitation for whatever he's doing next. But I do think he is good pals with the likes of Will and Harry Styles. Harry Styles is another one who doesn't do a lot of promotional stuff. So you'd imagine uh, he didn't have a gun to his head to go. Like I do actually think they're uh, they're mates. So yeah, I don't know. We'll have to, we'll see what's next for him now when he moves back to the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Why did they, why did they stop the show anyway? Whose decision was it? He wanted to leave. Uh, he wanted to move back with his fam or whatever. And I don't, I think they are looking, there's been no announcement in terms of who's replacing him or like what's going to happen to the show, whether it'll change in its entirety. That was another good thing in that Hollywood Reporter piece uh, because obviously Carpool Karaoke and the show itself kind of revolutionised late night television and how it was shared on social media. And, like they don't know what's going to happen to the YouTube channel now, even if whoever takes over and it was kind of interesting because look you can sneer at James Corden you can sneer at the show but it kind of gave it start to a lot of other people mm. as well like it had Billie, uh, Billie Eilish it was her first TV performance on The Late Late Show with James Corden uh, which I thought was an interesting tidbit but um, yeah he just said he was kind of he was done with it there was a lot of chat of kind of wanting him to convince him to stay on or whatever and there was a few bits from the last episode where Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel call in and trying to convince him to stay on but yeah I think he was just he was done with it I think so yeah. Was there nobody from the UK uh, regulated to try to convince him to stay on uh, and not move back? No which I think <laughs> might be uh, might be telling isn't it? Like, <laughs> might be telling that but yeah, yeah we'll see he's been flat out on the acting so I don't know if it's a case of him wanting to kind of more focus on that again and yeah we'll see we'll see ah, I sure yeah he doesn't have to work at all I imagine I imagine he probably has Definitely, Quite a few bob. Definitely not stuck for a few bob. No, definitely not. Yeah. Right, so Dean, smoke us up with your first beer. <laughs> okay, so the first beer that we're tasting is called Golden Drack Smoked. Uh, so the uh, classic beer from the Golden Drack range is just called Golden Drack or Golden Drack Classic. It's a dark ale and it's 10.5% ABV. So it's at the kind of upper end of what you'd get out of Belgian beers. Now, immediately when you smell the beer, you get a kind of a, a, a smoky... Um, kind of reminiscent of what you would get if you're sitting by a campfire, that type of character in the beer. It's quite rich because at 10.5%, you've got a huge amount of, of base malt in it. Mm. And then you've got um, kind of different flavours coming through from different things. There's there's a chocolate character. Um, there's uh, the kind of character that you get if you bite into a chocolate liqueur sweet and you get that kind of boost of um, juicy, liquidy fruit. Um, but the most interesting character that I kind of picked up in it was uh, a blueberry fav- flavour coupled with bubble gum, and it rem- of course you're there. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it reminded me of uh, uh, now uh, people of my generation would would remember Violet Beauregard from the original uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory film, uh, the one that was eating the gum and was told to spit it out before she got the dessert, otherwise she'd turn into a blueberry and she blew up. I kind of just remembered that, and for some reason it was bouncing around my head um, because the, the bubblegum flavour is quite intense. Bubblegum is an unusual flavour. It's uh, phenolic flavours, so 
It has a relationship uh, to flavours like cinnamon and nutmeg and uh, also um, some quite unusual flavours that are reminiscent of cough syrup. Um, And you can get it in beer with some Belgian ale yeasts. Uh, Belgian ale yeasts are typically what are called puff yeasts, which is phenolic off-flavour yeasts. So you can get these unusual flavours coming through. Now, what it does with the beer is the smoky character from the smoked malt is kind of like a kind of a spice character. It kind of sits on top of the beer and, and, and complements the rest of it. You've got all that juice there going through. You've got the bubblegum, which is really unusual. You've got a kind of a chocolate base to the beer. Um, you've got a, a kind of a an interesting fruit juice character that comes through as a slightly lime uh, lime juice character just in the finish of the beer. So it is most unusual beer, but absolutely delicious. Yeah, and you don't only notice this 10%. That's the dangerous thing about it. It is quite scary. And, you know, the funny thing about beer, for some reason, beer gets... gets, gets a tougher rep because when you've got a wine if somebody said that the wine was 10 or 11 percent um you would kind of go that's a little bit low you know i'm used to wines at 12 13 14 percent sometimes um with beer i think people are used to beer at five percent and then when it's 10 percent even though it's at the entry level of wine um they kind of think of it as being you know kind of way through the roof with this it's the type of beer that you kind of (laughs) but people don't drink pints of wine if you saw somebody with a pint of wine you go there's a problem drinker well, what I was going to say, I suppose the point with this is that if, if you were in Belgium, unless somebody tricks you into going into the Delirium Cafe and you decide to challenge yourself and going through the, the 2004 beers that are in there, um, if you're in Belgium, you'll see people sipping at beers um, like you would sip at a wine. You know, they kind of have a large glass there, usually a very ornate glass. Uh, the glass for Gudendrak is, is uh, designed based on a dragon's egg because the um, the uh, brand symbol for Gudendrak is a golden dragon that sits on top of the cathedral in the centre of Ghent where the brewery is and they've done Mm. this beautiful glass with a a kind of a a bulbous shape and then a kind of a base that is what you would imagine a a dragon's egg might sit on while uh, it was waiting to hatch but um, yeah the the glass is like a large wine glass and then when you pour it you you are meant to sip the beer If, if you are sculling back this beer then I would be very very concerned about you yeah, indeed. And the glasses are, in, in fairness, the glasses are always uh, beautiful. Uh, Deirdre, we already have a complaint. Uh, uh, you're, you're only here five minutes. Uh, someone's texted in to say the W in Berwick on Tweed, where the pilgrimage ends, is silent. So oh, it's pronounced I'm Berwick. I, I, I'm from the northeast of England, says an outraged listener. Um, I apologise. Uh, I do not know the UK landscape very well at all. I haven't been yeah. over there many times. <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, also, uh, we've got a text in about uh, the ending of the James Corden show. Uh, now, I'm not sure if this per- what kind of information this person has, uh, but they say Tuberty is taking over the US late, late, and Corden is taking over the Irish late, late. It's part of the Anglo-Irish-US Insufferable <laughs> Presenter Exchange Programme. So, uh... Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. I'd like to speak to a patient, please. Queenie Hennessy. I need to tell her something. I'm afraid that's not possible. Am I too late? Queenie's asleep right now. But I can take a message. Tell her Harold Fry is on his way. His what? His way. All she has to do is wait. Because I'm going to save her, you see. I'll keep walking and she must keep living. From South Devon to Berwick-upon-Tweed. I'm setting off right now. 
long as I walk, she must live. Please tell her this time I won't let her down. There you go. That's uh, the unlikely pilgrimage of Harold Fry. I think that clip pretty much gives us uh, the setup to it. Uh, so, Deirdre, why does he think if he keeps walking that she'll remain alive? He kind of gets this notion in his head, I suppose, and he just will not let it go. You know, when you ha- when you meet someone and they just decide something and they will not let it go. So it's like that, I suppose. Uh, but the setup is basically that he meets this um, young woman in kind of a local convenience store and she tells him that she had um, an aunt who was um, dying of cancer. And basically they, her and her, the rest of her family believed that if they kept the faith that her aunt would live and she tells him that her aunt ultimately did live. Um, so that is how he kind of gets this idea into his head, I suppose. And you really do feel for his wife in particular, who is played here by uh, Penelope Wilton, who I think is just such an underrated actress. She's so fantastic in everything. Uh, people might recognise her from the Ricky Gervais series Afterlife, in which she plays Anne. She's the character that uh, Ricky Gervais's character is always sitting with and kind of they both kind of share worldly wisdom with one another but she plays the wife in this film and I just find her character so relatable because all she wants is for Harold Fry to stay at home where he is nice and safe because he is an elderly man and when he's walking to Berkman Tweed he doesn't even have the correct footwear on and you see his um, poor legs and his poor little feet get absolutely wrecked as he goes on this um, epic journey I suppose. And so what's, and I, if I was Jim Broadbent's wife in this mm-hmm. film, I'd be rather concerned that he's prepared to walk across the country for another woman who is Queenie to him. Yeah, so Queenie is a former uh, colleague of his and a friend who he's kind of lost touch with over the years. And there is a bit of a mystery to that element of the plot, which kind of gradually unravels. Um, but it's it's basically in relation to um, his uh, son, who he seems to be uh, now estranged from. Um, so that's kind of the little mystery that's going on there. Um, but Jim Broadbent is uh, the actor who is playing Harold Fry in this case. And I think that a lot of this film is really carried on his back. And he's a very charismatic actor. He's very likeable and he continues to be so as the character of Harold who is in very in many ways a very ordinary type of character but he's also very determined and very um, resolute and he's gentle and he's kind and he's really just trying to do the right thing so you're it's basically a very nice movie about all of these very nice characters and um, there are a number of kind of characters that um, Harold Fry meets along the way such as a young man who is in trouble who reminds Harold of his son there's this generous young doctor who uh, puts him up for a day and helps him to um, heal his legs and his feet. Uh, There's a farmer. There are a number of kind of quirky personalities who decide to join him on his pilgrimage as it gets um, increased media attention. So it's just like a very nice kind of feel good movie. And I suppose I would have mentioned earlier in the show how it reminds me of a cup of tea. And the reason for that is that it's not only warm and comforting, but also after you have a cup of tea, you tend to just kind of get on with the rest of your day then. So it's ultimately not a movie that's going to stay with you for long afterwards. It probably is a little bit forgettable, but it's that time of year where we are getting these kind of indie movies, these smaller releases, because we're kind of out of the award season, but we're not quite into the blockbuster season yet either. But if you're looking for something that's just kind of feel good and nice, then this is kind of the ideal movie to go see, I would think. Mm. So it's a kind of a road movie. 
Yeah, exactly. It's a bit of a road movie and there are some like um, really kind of quite beautiful shots um, of the English countryside that kind of um, are scattered throughout the movie. But it's also very realistic in that there are times when Harold Fry is literally just like walking along the motorway and it is not very attractive at all. But that is that oh. is the kind of journey that I suppose you would be taking it. So it's not kind of trying to be overly romantic and say that, you know, uh, the UK is scattered with all of these beautiful sites. You know, it has become kind of quite, you know, industrialised. I suppose. And that's like kind of part of the point that um, the movie is making, that it's not about the sites necessarily. It's about the people that um, populate this place. And I like that the unlikely pilgrimage, you know, we're kind of living in these cynical times. Um, We would have just come out of the pandemic where we we would have seen kind of the good in people, but also some like darkness in people, I suppose. And I think that the unlikely pilgrimage, it's trying to remind you that the majority of people out there are good and they are generous and they are trying to, you know, be there for one another and help one another. So it it does just kind of have that nicey, nicey uh, feel good factor. Hmm. But you're saying nicey, nicey. Yeah, so, like you know, it's, it's it's a bit fine. Bl- and like, I, geez, can you get sick in your mouth? Is there is there a, a, a risk of that? <laughs> it can get a bit like that, I suppose. And I mean, it is kind of a fairly safe watch, I would say as well. Like, it doesn't take any particular twists and turns that you don't see coming in. You kind of have an idea of what ultimately the mystery is going to be, uh, though maybe it's a little darker than expected. But it's a movie that's about having faith and courage, even in the bleakest of odds. And I think that we have seen that story kind of brought to the screen many times before and in more extraordinary ways, I suppose. So it's ultimately a Mm. bit of a mess sort of movie, but it's nice. (laughs) That's the the word that keeps coming to mind, I suppose. (laughs) It's fine. It's it's nice. (laughs) Yeah, Garrett on Twitter says that film uh, makes him think about uh, another one about a man who drives across the US. I think that was in on a lawnmower called The Straight Story. Oh, I haven't seen that particular one. But, you know, the funny thing is what this movie kind of reminded me of, um, interestingly enough, um, was both um, A Man Called Otto from uh, earlier this year, which I would have mentioned um, earlier, starring Tom Hanks. Um, But uh, so, yeah, that movie wasn't the one that would have um, immediately come to mind. Oh, and the other one would be, I don't know if you remember the Guernsey Society from years ago. I can't remember the full name of it. It's like Potato Peel Pie Society or something like that. It is such a long title. It's insane. Something about peeling potatoes anyway. But I am convinced that there is like this kind of sub-genre of movies that are like cup of tea movies, which are just kind of nice. And then you forget about them a couple of days later. Grant, uh, and is this in, this is in cinemas? Yeah, yeah. This is getting a general release in cinemas. Okay, so it's not like in, in there for a fortnight and then it'll be on a streamer kind of um, job. It's I actually mean, cinema, cinema. It's possible that that'll happen because it's always so, it was so hard to know how long a run these type of movies are going to uh, get, what kind of, you know, take up that they're going to have. But then you do have kind of a contingency that you have to bear in mind that um, cinema goers can be kind of that older clientele. And I think that this is a really good movie for those kind of customers. Yeah. Uh, it's called the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. That's the one <laughs> with Lily yeah. James. It's lovely, yeah. but forgettable. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, someone says, uh, I read the book. I assume this is of, of uh, the yes. Harold Fry book. I read the book, thought it was boring. Hope the movie is better. <laughs> Ooh, ouchie. Uh, okay. Uh, so a Black Mirror is back and hell of a... It, 
It gets a hell of a cast list. I must say that about it. Yes, back after a three-year hiatus. Uh, it's going to be back on Netflix in June. I don't think we have an exact date yet. But as you said, very stacked cast this time around. You have Aaron Paul, Annie Murphy, Daniel Portman, Danny Ramirez, Kate Mara, Michael Sarah, Josh Hartnett, Rory Culkin, Sam Hayek-Pino, Zazie Beetz. Like, very, very stacked. Um, it might be a little bit different this season. So Charlie Brooker, the creator, has said that... Or for anyone who is or is not familiar with Black Mirror, usually the episodes are kind of standalone installments, like standalone stories. Um, but he said, Charlie Brooker has basically said this season kind of follows a new model. Now he hasn't really gone into much detail as to what that means. So whether it's actually a full coherent story or whether it's like two episodes on the one story or whatever. But he also said it's the most unpredictable, unclassifiable and unexpected season yet. From the clip that's going around online as well, it looks very violent in comparison to past mm. seasons. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm a Black Mirror fan. Yeah, I mean, they're, of course, they're bound to say that. They're well, I was going to say, gonna say that, right, yeah. You know. They're, they're yeah. not going to say it. It's, it's It's very predictable. <laughs> I'm sure you'll predict all the things that happen in this. Um, but yeah, sure. No, we but I bet, but I would imagine, though, just keeping up the model of standalone episodes is probably difficult in terms of generating ideas. So I wouldn't be surprised if they tried perhaps something slightly different where they're interconnected. Yeah. It doesn't sound like it'll be worse, just... Just to mix it up a bit. Just different, uh, yeah. Really. Sometimes different is yeah. good. We'll see, we'll see. Uh, uh, and uh, Bob Odenkirk's getting a bit of work for a change. Uh, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, as if he wasn't already flat out. Yeah, he's just finished, obviously, yeah. Better Call Saul. But he's, I'm very excited about this. He's going to be guest starring on the next season of The Bear, season two of The Bear, which if anyone hasn't watched, please go watch it. It's incredible television. And the next season is actually also premiering in June, which I didn't realise is coming much sooner than I thought. For anyone who does want to watch oh. it, it's on uh, Disney+. Plus. Uh, no idea about his character details uh, or anything else yet. And for anyone who isn't familiar with The Bear, uh, it stars Jeremy Allen White. He plays Carmi. He's like an elite Michelin star chef and he ends up coming back home to run his family's like Chicago sandwich shop after his older brother dies by suicide. Um, A.O. Edberry is in this as well and she is incredible. I'm obsessed with her. Uh, very, very good show. I'm very excited to see Bob in whatever capacity he is uh, He's staring in. I'm sure, I'm assuming he's going to be like one of Carmi's uncles or something, something coming back to, to cause havoc, yeah. cause chaos in the kitchen. Yeah, some dodgy type. The, Probably. I, but like... Th- the Bear and Beef that's on Netflix at the moment. This is I, I think this is now a, a new genre of television, as in television that makes you anxious. Uh, you may end up on antidepressants if you <laughs> if you watch too many of them. Yeah, but you're even because seeing it's not that really with, enjoyable. You're, you're yeah. even seeing it with things like uh, Succession and the way they're using time this season. I saw a good video about this before we went on air, but and especially with this particular season and the fact that it's kind of supposed to be playing out. Uh, in real time so like each episode is a day um, but yeah I haven't seen Beef yet I know the reviews are so good but uh, yeah everything that I've heard especially for the latter half of that season apparently it's just stress out the wazoo and I would say the same yeah. for the bear especially particularly like the first two episodes I remember I was watching it on a bus and I was like I I need to take a break I need to go look outside at some scenic views because this is <laughs> this is a lot this is, and they're just making sandwiches but it's so stressful but so good yeah. cannot oh. underestimate that yeah, and uh, someone says that the Harold Fry movie sounds a bit like the Anthony Hopkins movie where he's an owl lad that goes to America to break the motorbike speed record and has sex with some random <laughs> owl one in a trailer along the way. Oh, God. That sounds great. I like that. that uh, uh, I, I can't remember that one. Um, yeah, that does sound probably a bit more eventful yeah. than this one. <laughs> yeah. 
but like they should get like people like this to do elevator pitches in Hollywood. I mean, it would make it much more gripping, I think. Uh, Pat uh, in Dublin says, uh, going to, uh, back to talking about the, the golden drack, I lived in Brussels in the 90s. I loved Duvel beer. I had to stop drinking it as it would blow your head off and the hangovers were awful. Oh. Uh, well, there you go. That, go. that goes back to what Dean was saying. You weren't drinking responsibly. It's all your own fault. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. Yeah, we were talking about The Bear, uh, the TV show The Bear. Somebody's texted it to say The Bear is the TV equivalent of the Blue Nile. It's cool to like, to like, but ultimately nothing really happens. Oh, take a day Which off. is kind of... <laughs> Honestly, like... I know. But the thing is, the thing is, like, they're referring to uh, the Blue Nile, who are a band who were formed possibly when you were just about born. No, before you were born, Fanula. Yeah. So even the equivalent, uh, the, the comparison doesn't really, doesn't... And anyway, th- no, I see what they're saying about the Blue Nile. Some people might think that. But the bear is kind of action-packed. There's always something happening in it, which is... It's so just, tense. It's so... And yeah. the performances from everyone. And it's not just the tension. It's how the characters interact with each other and they're trying to deal with this horrible sudden death and the circumstances. I will not... I will not stand for the bear slander. Sorry. Get a life, whoever that person <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, Deirdre, do you like the bear? Have you ever heard of the Blue Nile? I have heard of the bear. It's it's on my ever-growing list of TV series I have to get through. But I do remember when it, when it premiered on Disney Plus and literally everyone was talking about it. And if Bob Odenkirk is joining the new season, I think I'm going to have to push it up the list of what to watch. Yeah. What's next on your list? Um, oh, this is a guilty pleasure. I'm current. I'm currently watching Firefly Lane on Netflix, which I'm I'm actually really embarrassed to admit, but I kind of love it. It's. It, do you know? Do you remember the movie Beaches, Sean? It's that, but mm-hmm. as an extended series with Sarah Chalk and Catherine Heigl, who are two actresses I would have grown up with. So it's just so full of like nostalgia and just oh, and all the feels. I'm I'm just loving that at the moment. But please, listeners, like if you're gonna watch it, just be warned that it is very cheesy and lame. I'm just really enjoying it because it's very it's very light and easy viewing. <laughs> OK, sure. We're all embarrassed on your behalf as Thank well, you. dear, if that makes you feel any better. Uh, right. So uh, while we're with you, let's uh, let's move on to our second movie of the day. Quite a change of tone here. Uh, it's called Anne. Here's a clip. If I wasn't here anymore, what difference would it really make? They'd all be delighted. Boys. There's been an accident. An accident. Everybody would judge me in that one thing. Maybe I want to make that unforgettable. Right, uh, that's Anne. Uh, now, interestingly enough, we, we, we did play a clip there, but a, a lot of, there's a lot of, would it be fair to say there's a lot of uh, periods in the film where there's not that much talking going on? Yeah, that's right, because it's interesting because a couple of the lines you would have heard in that clip were from uh, Zara Devlin, who's kind of this up and coming actress, and she plays um, Anne in the film, and she's absolutely uh, phenomenal. I think she has such a career ahead of her if this movie is anything to go by. But yeah, there isn't an awful lot of dialogue in this movie, and Anne as a character in particular doesn't really 
really say enough. And I think that Sarah does such an extraordinary job at conveying so many thoughts and emotions that are going through uh, this character's head through these very subtle cues and changes of uh, facial expressions. And another standout uh, performance to me in this uh, film was Eileen Walsh. Now, um, Eileen has led a really extensive career across kind of stage and screen um, in Irish film, TV and theatre. And she's pretty much flawless in everything she does. But in her role as the mother, she doesn't really speak much either. And again, you've just got kind of a lot of subtle acting um, and conveying of emotions going on. So, yeah, it's a film that doesn't really say a lot in terms of dialogue, but it doesn't really need to because you're kind of seeing the horror that's you know, unfolding on the screen. So for that reason, you don't actually need an awful lot of dialogue. Um, Another interesting thing that I found in this film was uh, the cinematography. It has these long tracking shots. And basically, we follow around Anne as she goes about her day because she dresses and she leaves for school. But ultimately, she decides not to go to class. She's kind of wandering around the hometown and the camera follows her. And then it kind of starts to follow um, other characters, such as her mother, such as some of the locals who are kind of gossiping. And I think that in a way, it kind of really captures like the whispers and the inescapable nature of the small town living, which is really a huge part of, um, you know, the true story that this is based on. Um, And it's interesting as well, because you actually have present day Boyle in County Roscommon, which is subbing in for 1980s uh, Granard here. And I think that it's really quite effectively done. Now, I will say for this film that be prepared that there is a bit of a rough cut look to it. I think that in terms of the production quality, you know, the film was a bit um, limited. It was shot during the pandemic. You can kind of see that it it didn't have a lot in terms of budget. So it does have a slightly um, unrefined look to it, I suppose. But I think this is such an important story, um, you know, given, um, you know, our history of trauma and of disenfranchising women and the fact that, you know, that history is so kind of recent. I think that this is a really important film for everyone everyone to see. And I think it is a worthy um, adaptation of this story, which is kind of really, really difficult to bring to um, the screen because it is it is so tragic, really. Mm. Now, and the story arc is just this. It's just is it just morning to evening? It's it's a story of mm-hmm. her final day, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it tells you kind of from the outset that the movie is um, it takes place on January 31st, 1984. And Anne knows that she is about to give um, birth that day. So she's just kind of wandering around the town a bit listless. And she speaks to some of the locals there. You would have heard uh, some of the dialogue in the clip. And it really is just based on this uh, final day, which is really, um, really quite powerful. Um, Another kind of standout scene that I have to uh, bring up here is really the uh, birth scene. Now, I will admit that it is quite graphic and I actually had to look away at some points because, um, you know, I would have mentioned that the film is kind of um, characterised by these long tracking shots. And similarly, when that scene takes place, it's really, really long shots and the camera just does not cut away. Like, it's almost like you're watching something out of a horror film really but it is so real and I suppose it does really transport you to what Anne must have been going through in that moment so it is very very powerful stuff but I I just have to kind of warn audiences from the outside that it is Mm. it is quite difficult to watch. At the time it happened, mm-hmm. there was a lot of you know there was a lot of speculation about who knew what, and 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 kind of understandably, I suppose, a lot of people in Granor didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Does the film deal with that? Because this is a you know this is a girl 
who's at full term and mm-hmm. allegedly at least no one noticed she was just about to have a baby. Yeah, so um, the character of Anne Lovett throughout the film, um, you can, like, you know, you cannot see that she is pregnant, but basically she wears this big baggy jumper and she carries her school bag. She's wearing her school uniform and she carries her school bag like in front of her chest so that that kind of disguises the bump. And when the camera kind of goes around and follows the locals and their chit-chat, nobody is kind of overtly saying she's pregnant or anything like that but it's just kind of whispers it's kind of like underlying jabs I suppose and almost like um, making fun of and gossiping a little so there's kind of this like there are these snide remarks that are going on but nobody's overtly saying what's going on and nobody more importantly is actually like reaching out to Anne and helping her her sister knows that Mm. something's wrong but she doesn't seem to be fully aware of what's um, happening with her sister uh, maybe because she's a bit younger and she doesn't like quite understand and I think that um, you know Eileen Walsh as a mother is really quite um, you know she has such a presence here as someone who's just wandering around and not saying anything but she has this constant look of concern on her face and yet we don't really see her actually interact with her daughter so there's a lot of kind of subtle commentaries I suppose that are going on in this movie um, and that's why I think that it'll be a really big conversation starter when people go and watch it I imagine so. Right. Mm-hmm. I think we'll all do it a drink after that. Dean, tell us about the second beer. <laughs> OK. Second beer that we're tasting is a Rausch beer. It's a German beer called Schle- Schlenkerle. Um, it is from Bamberg. <laughs> Are German beers deliberately ca- uh, made to sound like you're slurring your words already? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that they're probably trying to give people an excuse that, you know, it was, it was, the, yeah. it was the number of letters in the word. And, and Germans seem to have this habit of putting words together until you've got a word that's like 47,000 letters long anyway which which is incredibly difficult to deal with but uh, yeah if, if you're talking about smoked beers Rausch beer is the uh, style that most people would talk about and with this one um, you've got it's a lighter beer 5.1% ABV and the base beer is a Martin beer which is a type of lager um, but you have all of this smoky character come from the smoked malts so when you're smelling this beer and particularly when you taste it in the aftertaste of the beer uh, you've got uh, flavours that are kind of reminiscent of, of really good quality cigar smoke. You know, the type of cigar smoke that you kind of walk into a room and it's a, a pleasant uh, uh, smoke smell as opposed to the kind of, you know, dirty tobacco smell that you'd associate with, with pubs in the 1980s. Um, it also has the, the kind of... Now, as, as we were tasting this last night, um, the best way we could describe it was it, it tasted like... Uh, uh, maple smoked bacon without the bacon that all of the flavour that you associate with the maple smoked part of the maple smoked bacon um, is in the the smoky character of the beer and then you've got a a certain amount of kind of uh, a little bit of juiciness again kind of black currant juice and um, then kind of high cocoa uh, content chocolate uh, flavour to it. Now what's surprising the the finish of the beer is quite clean. You kind of almost have this idea that if you're tasting this beer that it's going to coat your tongue and and linger for quite a while but it finishes off the palate quite cleanly and 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 just leaves a a lovely kind of Mm. moorishness quality to the beer absolutely and if there's bacon in it you can have it for breakfast as well (laughs) uh dean finula and deirdre thank you all uh very much uh for coming in to uh, spend the last hour with us movies and booze i'm moncrief on news talk